I can't really see you, but amen. Hang on one second. I got to fix something myself here. Jesus. I keep hitting the wrong button. I, it's like I'm an amateur or something. <laughs> amen, amen, amen. Hey, listen, we were in this uh, sermon series, Faith to Move Mountains, and so I'm just so happy. I'm so excited to bring this next installment of Faith to Move Mountains to you this morning. Today, we're going to be talking about the fact that faith moves, right? We're talking about faith to move mountains, but we have to understand that faith is active. Faith moves. Faith does something. And so there has to be an action in relation to our faith, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But before we get into that, let me just talk for a moment about this faith to move mountains, God will give us, and God wants to give us faith to move mountains in our lives, faith to see mountains move. And I mentioned this last week, but I want to go a little bit deeper today. I mentioned this last week about how when we pray to see a mountain move, and then the mountain moves, what's that going to look like? What is it going to look like when the mountain actually moves? The mountain just doesn't quietly get up and tiptoe over and put itself gently into the sea. A mountain moves by earthquake, by rock splitting, by landslide. People that are in the way between the mountain and the sea, they've got to be very careful because that mountain's going to slide into the sea. It'll take homes. It'll take cities with it. There's going to be a path of destruction when this mountain decides to obey the word of the Lord and move to the sea. And in the same vein, there have been those, I know I've been praying for about 15 years, maybe 20 years, for America to turn back to God. And I know that there are hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands who have been praying that prayer long before I've been praying that prayer. And so now there is this chorus of prayer going up before God that America would turn back to God. And what would that look like? And let me tell you prophetically what I believe. I prophetically, I believe that what we're seeing with the coronavirus is just the tip of the iceberg. It is, as Jesus said, it is only the beginning of sorrows. And I'm not saying that this is going to continue or that this is going to go on for a long time, but this is step one. And I'm not saying that God made this thing. God didn't make coronavirus. God doesn't make sickness. Jesus came to heal sickness. And so if God's sending sickness and Jesus is healing sickness, then God's fighting himself and he doesn't do that. Jesus heals. And so God doesn't send sickness. Sickness is a, is a repercussion of the world that we live in. And Jesus heals. And so coronavirus is here, but God uses everything that happens for good. Romans 8, 28, he brings all things together for good for those who love God and call according to his purposes. And we don't have to be flipped out. We don't have to be worried. And, you know, I've talked to many of you, and, and I don't hear worry in the camp. I hear confidence. I hear faith. And listen, I believe that there is something else coming after this, something else coming behind this. I can't tell you what the time frame is. God didn't share that with me. This is step one. And something else is coming. And there's probably something else behind that. Because what is God up to? He's going to allow certain chips to fall so that America would come back to God. See, God's only concerned about one thing. God's not concerned about the economy. God's not concerned whether we, we drive our cars or whether they start, stay parked in the garage. God's concerned about one thing. God's concerned about people having a heart after him. Yeah. And he'll allow anything to, that needs to happen to happen in order for 
them to come back to a place where their heart belongs to God. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. So that is what we're up that's what we are about to see. As much as there is uncertainty about what's going on with the coronavirus and us staying home and the lockdown and, and the pause, which I, I believe will be expi expiring on the 15th, that's what, where it's set to expire, and so hopefully we'll be able to meet here on the 17th. All of that's going on. We could be anxious about all of that, anxious about the, the virus, anxious about the contagion, anxious, but we have faith in God that God is, God is moving, God is working, God is doing something. Something greater than you and I can see. God is moving. God moves. Amen? So this morning I want to talk to you. I want to bring you a message entitled, Faith Moves. Faith Moves. Faith is active. Faith, it, it doesn't, it's, not just, it's not just spiritual. It is spiritual. Faith is a spiritual component. The, there's the physical component. There's, there's the body, soul, and spirit, right? The uh, we're a three-part being. There's body, soul, and spirit. We have a physical body. We have our soul, our, our intellect, and our emotions. And then we have our spirit. And so faith is this spiritual element within us. But when the spiritual element within us changes, then there is a physical response as well. There is a response in our soul as well. And we see this throughout the gospel. Jesus spoke words of faith over people. And as he spoke words of faith, blind people were healed. Dead were raised to life. The sick were healed. Why did this physical manifestation occur? Because Jesus spoke into the spiritual realm. And so as he spoke faith into the spiritual realm, the physical realm was affected. And so faith moves. Faith is put to action. And so let's look at, let's look at this this morning. James 2, 14 through 26. I didn't want to put uh, 15 scriptures up on the, the screen because that would take some time to flip through. Not that I, I, I wouldn't put them all up there, but uh, it's just as easy for me to read it from the text. So if you have your Bibles there this morning, open up to James chapter 2. We're going to read from 14 through 26. And so this is what it says. It says, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or a sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace and be warm and be filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so what, what James is telling us here is that faith requires action. Faith without action is dead. Faith without action is useless. It's of no value. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Get ready because James, hold on, because James is about to, to, to rip him up. And he says this, he says, you believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe that and tremble. And so he's saying, what he's saying is that Works isn't, works isn't enough either. Works is not enough. It's not enough to just have works. You have to have faith and works. Even the demons believe that and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered, there's the action, he offered Isaac, his son, on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works or with his actions? 
and by works, faith was made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that man is not justified by works, that, that, then that man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And so our faith has to have action put to it. And so what am I talking about? When God gives us the first small measure of faith, when God gives us that first small measure of faith, we respond to salvation and we give our lives to Christ. And then God gives us another measure of faith after we've done that. And then we begin to live a holy life. We begin to live a life without sin. And then God gives us more faith. And then we begin to help others, as the commandment says, because that's what Jesus wants us to do. And then God gives us more, more faith. And then we heal the sick. And then God gives us more faith. And then we begin to move in miracle signs and wonders. We begin to see the mountains moving. We see the impossible become possible. Works or, actions apart, works or actions apart from faith is just as bad as having no faith at all. And Jesus addressed this same sentiment in one of his parables, and I want to look at that today. Matthew 21, 28 through 31. Uh, we're going to read through 33, I believe. It says this, and it says, uh, but what do you think? And so he's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and, the, and the scribes, and he says, but what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came and said to the first, Son, go today and work in my vineyard. And he said, the son answered and said, I will not. But afterwards, he regretted what he had said, and he went and he did what the father had asked. Then he came to the second and said, likewise. And the second son answered and said, I will go. But he never went. And so Jesus asks and says, which of the two did the will of his father? Which of the two did the will of his father? And so this, the Pharisees answer and they say, the first Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax, tax collectors and sinners uh, and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterwards re relent, repent, and believe him also. And so I, I, love, I love Jesus. I love the parables. Uh, and they're just so good and for so many reasons, you know. We can understand a parable, and then years later, we can come to a place where we understand the parable all over again. We understand another deeper meaning. And so I read this, this parable for a long time, and I never understood it. And I was probably about, we were probably about three or four years married. Uh, I would have been saved about four or five years. And I remember reading this parable, and I, and I just got to the place where I was just like, I just sat and thought about it. And I'm like, thinking about it, and thinking about it, and thinking about it. I'm like, okay, the first son did the action, here we go, action, the, the work that the father wanted him to do. But Jesus said, well, I mean, he didn't just lay it out real simple. <laughs> the, the Pharisees come and say, well, the first, the first did the action that the father requested. And, you know, a simple no, you're wrong, would have sufficed. But he answers differently. Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, tax collectors and harlots, the sinners, the worst sinners of all, are entering the kingdom of God before you are. 
And so what Jesus is saying is, no, you answered wrongly. It's not the first, right? I'm going to translate what he said. He said, no, sinners are getting into heaven before you do. And so what Jesus is saying here is, no, no, you got it wrong. That's not the right answer. It's not the first son. And so then he goes on and he says, when you saw the sinners and the tax collectors, the tax collectors and the harlots repent and believe in John, you didn't then go back and repent either. And so here we're left with, was it the second son? And so I'm like, how could it be the second son? The second son didn't do it. And so I was saved for, like I said, three or four years, four or five. We were married for three or four years. I was saved for four or five years. And so I said to my wife, I said, I don't understand this parable. I said, the first son did what the father asked, even though he didn't say that he was going to do it. So what's the answer? And I'll never forget, my wife set me straight. Pastor Stacy gave me the answer. And so I love being married to a godly woman. See, we, we study the word together, we, we read the word together, and then when I have questions, she has answers. <laughs> and so we have these kinds of conversations around our house all the time, and so uh, we talk about the word, we ask questions, we ask one another, we encourage one another in the word. And so she answers me, and she says, neither. And I was like, you're right. I knew it was the right answer. By the Spirit, I knew it was the right answer. She, she said, neither one did it. Neither one of these two sons did what the father asked. What did the father ask? He said, go and work in my vineyard. And the first one said, no. And then he went. And the second one said, I'll go. But he didn't go. And so what does God want? He wants us to say, yeah, I'll go. I'll be there. But then he wants us to go too. See, he doesn't want one or the other. He wants both. He wants us to have faith in him and then from our place of faith to go and do the things that he's asked us to do. He wants the yes and the amen. He wants us to, to, to follow him, to believe in him, and to do the works that are set out by him. See, because if we separate faith from works, if we have faith without works, then our faith is dead and it means nothing. And if we have works without faith, it just becomes humanism, this humanistic uh, good works, this humanistic good deeds, and it's dead too. It doesn't lead to life. It's only when we have faith, the belief in God, and we tie that to the works that it brings and it comes together and it brings life. And from this place of life and having life, we move and we give life to others. Amen? Amen. So what's the answer here to the parable? The answer is it's both. He wants both. Neither son got it right. He wants us to say, yes, I'll go, and he wants us to do it. He wants us to have faith, and he wants us to put our faith into action. Hebrews 11. We're talking about faith in action. I'm going to talk about Hebrews 11. We went through last week, and every day I did a different section of Hebrews 11. We read that throughout the week. You can go back into the history timeline on uh, our Facebook page, the Redeeming Love Facebook page. You can, you can listen to me uh, walk through that. But this morning, I want to sh- just quickly glance through some of these things where by faith, someone had faith. The forefathers of our faith had faith, and it moved them to action. It says, by faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. See, the, the action there is that he made an offering. He had faith, and he made an offering, a more he offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Enoch walked with God. There's the action. He walked with God. By faith, Noah prepared an ark. Noah gets this faith. Noah gets this word from God. He builds this big wooden ship, prepared the ark. By faith, Abraham went out 
from his own country, not knowing where he was going. By faith, Sarah conceived and bore a son. By faith, Abraham offered Isaac. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and and Esau. By faith, Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph. By faith, Joseph gave instructions to the Israelite concerning his bones that they would carry them back to the promised land. Come on. By faith, Moses was hidden by his parents. By faith, Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh. By faith, come on, sometimes by faith, we've just got to refuse to be called New Yorkers. Sometimes by faith, we've just got to refuse to be called Americans. I'm a Christian. Listen, I live here, but my mail gets sent to heaven. By faith, Moses forsook Egypt. By faith, the Israelites passed through the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. By faith, Rahab did not perish, whereas all of the others in Jericho did. What more shall I say? Time would not permit me to go on. Faith results in action. All of these forefathers of our faith, they had faith and they put their faith into action. And we remember them because of what happened out of that action. Hebrews 11, what an encouragement. Faith does not come from an action. Let's get this straight. We're talking about faith and works. Faith does not come from an action. Faith results in an action. And so what am I saying here? I'm saying that when we begin to do something, we can't expect faith to grow in us because we've done that. We receive faith from God by His grace. And then we move according to his word. And then when we see the completion, here's the glorious thing. When we see the completion of that faith where we've stepped out, then our faith grows and we get more faith. And then we can step out again with more faith and do the next thing. And then we can step out with faith again and we can do the next thing. And then we can step out with faith again and we can do the next thing. See, but it begins with God putting faith in our hearts. The Bible says that no man can come to God unless he draws him. God deposits faith in every man's heart. And we respond to that faith and come to Christ. And then God drops more faith. Because we've been faithful he, to, to receive salvation, now he drops more faith and we can live holy. Then we live holy, now he drops more faith and we can begin to help others. And then he drops more faith and we can begin to do the next thing. And then he drops more faith and we can begin to do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And we just keep growing and growing and growing until suddenly we become to a place where we have so much faith that we can move mountains. We can see the impossible come to pass. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. This is the scripture that we've been reading from the beginning. If you have faith as of a mustard seed, if you have just this little bitty tiny faith, faith, if you have faith, nothing will be impossible for you. When our faith grows, as our faith grows, we will see the impossible. We will see miracles happen. Our faith grows uh, when we spend time with Jesus in the secret place. We can't work faith up on our own. We can't create faith. Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's him who gives us faith. So the more time we spend with him, the more time we spend seeking him, the more time we spend fellowshipping with him, the more faith is going to get deposited in us. And the more we're going to be able to step out and do what he's calling us. Listen, as we go forward, 
right? I said, like, this might be step one. I don't even know exactly what's going forward. But as we go forward, it's going to take faith. We have to respond by, pe- by being people of faith. These are not days to walk in our flesh and to walk in our understanding. These are days for us to walk by faith. And the days which are coming ahead, we need to walk in greater faith. And so build yourself up now while we have this time, while we're spending time alone, while we're spending time quiet. Get get along with Jesus. Read the word. Do what you have to do. Build yourself up and allow Jesus to put faith in you. Because it's when faith is in you that you're ready to do what he's calling us to do. And we can't be ready to do what he's calling us to do aside from having faith. Faith results in action. Faith moves us to action. Faith moves us. Let's get ready to take communion this morning. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. As we move forward, miracles may wind up uh, beginning to happen in my midst, but it's never me who does the impossible. It's only ever Jesus who does the impossible because I put the demand on him. Today, we, we, we always take communion, we take communion once a month, and so we, there's some typical scriptures that we read, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, very common. Today, I want to read Matthew 20, 12, 35 through, through 37. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that we should examine ourselves. And 1 Corinthians 11, especially when we're taking communion. And so I want to read this scripture, and I want us to reflect and examine ourselves in relation to this scripture today. Matthew 12, 35 through 37 says this. It says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men speak, they will give an account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so the word, it says, uh, I say to you that for every idle word, an idle word is a word that's spoken without faith. How many times have we spoken a word without faith? I believe that God has given us uh, the land. I believe that God has called us as a church redeeming love, to take the city of Troy, that he's given us the city of Troy and that we will see the city of Troy saved. And so I say that often. And so when I say uh, that God has given us the city and we'll see the city of Troy saved, what, what are your words? Are, you, are your words encouraging? Are your words words of faith? Are your words words that build up? Are your words words that encourage others that yes, this is going to happen and that this will happen? Or do you speak negatively about the things that God has called us to do? And so if we speak negatively, if, if I'm saying that God has given us the city of Troy and you're saying that could never happen, Troy's too hard, that's a, that's, a, that's a word spoken without faith. That's an idle word. And so we don't ever want to speak words without faith. If we don't have faith, then don't speak. You, uh, the Bible says... Uh, uh, even a fool is considered wise when he holds his tongue. And so in, in the absence of many words, there is, uh, sin is not lacking, the Bible says. And so don't speak. Listen, I've made this a regular habit of mine. 
you know, I, I know I get up here and I speak for 20, 30, 40 minutes at a clip, but I make it, I made, I've made it a regular habit of mine to not always speak. I just don't always need to be heard. And it's not because I'm heard enough here. I, I, I don't speak a lot when I'm in other, or other circumstances, even before I became a pastor. And so be careful with your words. Know what you want to say. And use as few words as possible. Don't speak idle words. And so let's just take a moment and let's just reflect and examine in our lives where maybe we've spoken without faith, where we've spoken against faith, where we've spoken idle words to tear down rather than build up. And so let's just take this morning as we're taking our communion and let's just ask God to forgive us of any idle word that we might have spoken, any word that we've spoken without faith. Jesus. Jesus came and he took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, eat. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. After supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. Your sins are forgiven because of the blood that was shed on the cross. Jesus, we remember your death upon the cross. We celebrate your victory. God, we ask you to forgive us of our sins, forgive us of our idle words, and God, empower us to live for you. Give us faith to live each day. God, we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Just as we end, I want to uh, take the offering. I want to receive the offering. You guys, I want to just say that you guys have been so faithful to give uh, through this whole time. Uh, you guys have truly been those who have sown through famine time. It, we're in this time where uh, there's a bit of uncertainty. We're not sure what's up ahead. And you guys have been faithful to sow through famine. And we as a church have been able to um, help those in need, help those who are less fortunate, help those who who, uh, for whatever reason, might not be getting any, uh, any assistance. And so thank you to, to uh, so many of you who have given, uh, not only regularly, but above and beyond. And so this morning, uh, there's three ways to give here at Redeeming Love. You can give on our website, redeeminglovechurch.org. There's a little Give tab. You can get to our Give site through the Facebook page. Uh, I believe that the donate button that was on the Facebook page has been removed. We keep putting it back up, but it keeps getting taken back down. So just navigate to our Facebook, to our website from the Facebook page, or you can mail that in to Redeeming Love Church, 42 Woodward Avenue, Troy, New York, 12180. And uh, 
Thank you so much for giving. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every giver this morning. God, we pray your blessing upon all of us today. And God, we look forward to the day uh, in the near future when we will be worshiping together again. And God, we pray that you would give us great faith. God, that you would spark in us great faith. God, that as we spend time with you this week, God, that as we walk away, the one thing that we will see greater than anything else is that faith would arise in our hearts. God, that we would put action to our faith and that, God, we would pray for people and we would see the answers to prayers in our very midst, God. God, we give you glory and honor and praise for you alone are worthy. God, we worship you with our whole heart. And God, we, we pray that this morning that you would impart faith to every believer, every person watching, every person hearing this message, Lord. Impart faith, we pray. We thank you, Lord. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.